80s, uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, one of the few ways that my mom could get me to read was to use these books called Choose Your Own Adventure. Choose Your Own Adventure, there's probably over a hundred of them, you know, can I get a witness, anybody else, Uh, Choose Your Own Adventure? You're familiar with these books, maybe, maybe not. The way that it works is, you know, you, you, know, you, you read this book that, uh, you know, the protagonist is you. It's written in second person. And so you, the reader, kind of, you know, choose your own adventure. And the way that it's laid out is such that when you reach a certain page, let's say, you, you know, you get a quarter of the way through the book. It says at the end of that uh, page, now you may go to uh, Emerald Isle, uh, Turn to page 38, or you could uh, descend that ladder over there and head down to the secret cave on page 55. Uh, you decide to go to page 38. It might end up in any number of endings. Let's say today you choose page 38. You go to Emerald Isle. Uh, and what do you find there except the ab- abominable snowman, and he eats you alive, and that's the end of the story. And you go, well, yeah, let's go back. Let me go ahead and get, I should have gone. To, I was going to go to page 55 anyway. We'll go down the ladder. And so you, you see how it works out. There's various uh, turns and times and endings in it. Imagine for a moment if you were in control of your life. You were scripting your story. You know, the control of your life is largely, uh, you know, a, an elusive thing, right? It's a, it's a futile thing to try to control things. Of course, we make choices. We do, we do choose some adventures or what we thought would be an adventure, and it doesn't quite end up that way. Imagine with me, you may say, well, but you know, my, my trajectory is pretty much set, right? And maybe you're excited about that. Maybe you're sour about that. But, you know, things can change pretty rapidly in life. So let's just imagine two scenarios, all right? You're at the end of the page, and here's, I'll just map it out a little bit for you. Option A, two options this morning, choose your own adventure. Option A, You find an abundance of unexpected wealth. You spend many wonderful years traveling and enjoying meals and and laughing with all types of experiences. And by the way, you're well-known, well-loved, and esteemed by virtually everyone. Option A. You want to hear option B? Option B. You find through a variety of calamities that you are now poor. You experience all form of ailments and some uh, significant heartaches that introduce tremendous sorrow into your life. And you end up being misunderstood and mistreated by others, even some of the people you thought to be faithful friends and family. Option B. You need some time to, you to review those. You need, some time to, you need some time to think about which one you want to go with. I'm guessing no. Well, let's just say maybe throw another option. Option C You, even being careful, contract COVID-19, and nothing changes in your life, but you do get a check from the government, a stimulus check. Some of you already got that option, yes, like me. Let's choose, let's let Jesus choose for us. Let me invite you to turn in your pew Bible to page 826, or in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 6. 826. I'm I'm glad to say that. We have pew Bibles now. Again, 826. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look together, invite you to stand in deference to God's word. This is what Jesus says is the blessed life. Believe it or not, 
This is God's word. You hear this. Verse 20, Luke 6. And he, that is Jesus, lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, and so their fathers did to the prophets. Verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is God's word. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask that right now, I would ask by the power of your spirit, you would use your word, that you would work in me and work through me, that you might be glorified to make us, each and every one here, a bit wiser more alert, more, uh, more careful to stay focused on our loving Savior, His priorities, His kingdom. We ask in His name. Amen. You might recall a few weeks ago in chapter 5 as we were studying through Luke that we encountered two people. And uh, they, they were kind of at, at opposite ends, right? And one, one of them was a simple fisherman and the other one was a, a wealthy uh, partying tax collector. But the common denominator amongst both of them is that they encounter Jesus in such a way that just with one word, one invitation, follow me, they do. But the common denominator as recorded by Luke is they both left everything and followed him. Now, this is... You've experienced this. If you've studied the scripture, you've, you've discovered this as well. But there are people from every social class and every level of wealth in the world and in history who followed Jesus. And we see it in Scripture, we see it in everyday life, but evidently at this turn, as he faces these uh, disciples, when he looks at this group, they are experiencing trials. They find themselves at a low point. They are in, uh, in great need. That's who he's speaking to. And in some instances, they weren't just uh, disciples who were suffering. They were people who were suffering precisely because they were disciples. Did you catch that? It said that in verse 23, excuse me, 22, on account of the name of the Son of of Man who they were associated with as followers. This passage is somewhat akin to, you may have heard the echoes to the Beatitudes. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in Matthew 5, beginning in Matthew 5. I'm not sure whether this is the same account in a shorter uh, form, the little snapshot. I, I tend to believe that this is what some people refer to as the Sermon on the Plain, a different time when Jesus was teaching, uh, not to our, you know, I mean, we're not surprised, teaching the same thing. Here's how I want to break it down. There's this parallel. It's, I mean, that's obvious. There's the parallel of four blessings and four woes. I think really there's, there's, there's two things that I observe here, just two themes that I see. And the first is a reversal, it's listed in the order of service, 
a reversal of worldly values, and then Jesus holding out a reward of kingdom promises. And then what I want to close with is some questions that we might want to ask ourselves in response to God's word and application of it today. Okay? Plain and simple, reversal of God's, excuse me, reversal of worldly values. New Testament scholar Leon Morris writes this, Together with the following woes, these beatitudes make a mockery, he writes, of the world's values. They exalt what the world despises, and they reject what the world admires. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that nothing really is, nothing at all has changed. Right? Truth be told. Those then, those now. Those who had more talents and more friends and more prosperity and more wealth, less troubles. Those are the people who were valued and esteemed. Same as today, as the world sees it. True? Sad, sad but true, right? Those who are poor, even those who are suffering, are often overlooked or despised. We, we tend to find ourselves name-dropping the way that the world is, the, those who the world esteems and values as, as having worth or as of, of importance. We want to be associated with them. We want to be around them. We want to be like them. Some of you are them. Successful in the world's definition. True? But now Jesus is kind of flipping that all upside down. Again, because he does that in other respects and places. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not saying that the blessing is the poverty in and of itself. I mean, if you read the Bible, if you read uh, the book of Proverbs, just as a for instance, you will see and discover that poverty can be a blessing or a curse. Jesus, same with riches, blessing or a curse. Jesus is not, nor cannot be saying that by human deprivation, if you want to be blessed, go empty your bank account, your food pantry, your, you know, just, just vacate all of that and, and basically try to starve, and then you will be blessed. He's, he's not saying that. He's not saying that by human deprivation and suffering, you can gain salvation. you want to experience true need and deprivation, by the way, you're likely going to need to leave this country altogether and travel to a place, maybe war-torn, struck with famine, less infrastructure, no clean water, no health care system. Jesus is not even talking, by the way, of just poor. He's not saying blessed are the poor just because you're poor, whoever you are, wherever you are, whenever you are. He's saying, blessed are the poor who are my disciples, he's saying. Because that's what he said. If you look at verse 20, he's speaking to someone. He's saying, blessed to the disciples. That's who he is referencing here. He's making it clear that these are Christians who find themselves poor and rejected and in a low estate, a low place, as the world would define it. Now, with regard to, to wealth, he flips things. Verse 24, what does he say? Woe to the rich. Woe to those who are, are, are full. In other words, the people who are self-satisfied and rejoicing in the, the praises of people. He's saying, you know, woe, by the way, is a word that can mean 
you know, a call of condemnation. It can also mean pity. In essence, he's saying pity is the person. What a sad thing. Those who are wealthy. Now you might think of another instance when Jesus does encounter someone who is wealthy. He's known as the rich young ruler. We, we, we're going to encounter him later in Luke chapter 18. This is what happens when Jesus uh, you know, heard that the, the rich young ruler wanted to inherit the kingdom of God and said that he had obeyed all the law. Jesus says, well, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Come and follow me. And then it says this, but when he heard that, he walked away in great sorrow because he was extremely rich. Now, yes, Jesus did tell him to sell everything. Did Jesus tell that to everyone who wanted to be a disciple? No, clearly not. But for him, it was to expose his heart. He couldn't let that go. There's a reason Jesus calls and warns us about the deceitfulness of riches. What Jesus outlines in this sermon is not, to be clear, a a list of qualifications on how to receive the blessing. He's saying if you are a disciple, you are blessed. Immensely, immeasurably blessed. And if you are experiencing things like need, and, and, and sorrow, and, and you, you, you're excluded or you are rejected relationally, then you are not in a bad place. It is not a desirable place. No one signs up for it. Choose your own adventure. None of you went with option B. Let's move on. Because we see that reversal of the world's order, the, the reversal of the world's values that Jesus is saying in these four blessings and four woes. He also holds out this reward, this, this sweet reward of kingdom promises. He's saying that the blessings flow to them, his disciples, through the promises and from the promises. There are blessings even now, and then there are rewards even later. The great reward, he says, of course, in verse 22, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Okay, that was a little over the top, Jesus. True. Okay, come on. Guys, wake up. Behold, your reward, he promises. How's the blessing flow from the promise? From the promise here, behold, your reward is great in heaven. That's what they tell you at churches when you don't get a raise. Don't worry, your reward is in heaven. (laughs) Jesus is saying, rejoice even if you're... And you know what? Honestly, some of you have, have, I know, have experienced this. There are people in your life that when you decided to follow Jesus, when they saw the change and they heard of the radical commitment, some of you, I know firsthand, have had family members who have scorned you. They've misunderstood you. They have written you off. They think you're nuts. And it's painful. Some of you have not gotten promotions because of your devotion to Jesus. 
Some of, some of you have lost friends that you thought were, were long-standing faithful friends, and they, they've not wanted to be around you upon you following Jesus in earnest and the choices and the priorities that you've made. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Jesus is saying, even with these undesirable circumstances, blessed are you. A couple weeks ago, I'm in the dentist's office, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. Um, I noticed that the, the dispenser there, it's a candy dispenser. Uh, that would be an odd thing for a dentist's office. I, 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 I know, I grew up around one. I, you know, the dispenser, though, doesn't, you get a token when your teeth are cleaned. Maybe if you're not, not in your 40s, but my kids get a token if they get their teeth cleaned and they don't scream or anything. You go to the machine, and instead of candy, you get these little trinkets, right? Little plastic toys that come out of the machine. And it says on a sign there, right on the candy machine, well, the, the plastic dispenser machine, you get what you get. And you don't, you don't get upset. I was already upset when it didn't have candy in it. So forget that. Is that what Jesus is saying here in essence? Good answer. Thank you, Ami. Jesus, Jesus is not saying, okay, fine, you're poor. Just get over it. You get what you get and you don't get upset. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, blessed are you, happy, joyful, even to our complete and utter surprise at times, content in your estate. Notice he does not say in verse 20, in promising to those who are poor, his followers, yours will be the kingdom. What did verse 20 say? Yours is, present tense, the kingdom of God. You know the king. You know who holds your life, and he loves you as his sons and daughters. You belong to the king. You might be poor. You know the king. You know the prince of peace. There are times, though, let's be honest. I know that even some of you, this is all rubbing you a bit wrong. Because you look and you say, but my life, my life stinks. You don't know how bad it is. You, you, we, we know what it's like when we say, okay, I think I've had enough. And by the way, those wicked people that I know, they, their life seems to have no worries. What's up with that? What have I done? What have I not done? Why, why am I not prospering? The psalmist has a word for you, for us. Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And don't miss the tension, don't miss the struggle. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. There's a tension there, right? Now, as it pertains to being popular, Jesus tells us, verse 26, 
Woe to you when people speak well of you. Listen, the, the, the praises of men and women is a cheap reward, he's saying. Consider the language, too. Even as we think about the, the dilemma here, just look at the temporal language. Same for the woes, same for the blessings. With the blessings, the Beatitudes here are saying, yes, you are in need. It's not ignoring that. It's not ignoring that it's not desirable, but it's temporal. And, and yes, you might have the blessings, but what does he even say here? Woe to you who are, are full and rich and, and spoken well now. Now, that should tip us off that it's, it is temporal. In fact, look at the language there when he switches over to the woes in verse 24. Woe to you, O rich, for you have, past tense, received your consolation. What does that mean? Jesus is not saying, just, just for the record... Jesus is not saying that there are no rewards for those who work hard. For those who experience prosperity, who, who have ambition. And by the way, if you live in this country, you have an overwhelming opportunity. We know this to be true. If you indeed are ambitious and you, you, you're smart, you apply yourselves, of all the times and places in the history of the world, you can probably be rich. You definitively, as the world's concerned, are. And you could, you could be to a whole new level. And you could have all the praises of all your friends. And you could, you, there's all these things that you, if you apply yourself to it right now, you could probably have. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, and that's what you're aiming, and that's what you're living for, then guess what? That's all you have. That's it. Nice car, the esteem of people, all the things that you dreamed of, good. And that's all you have. There's a parallel passage that speaks to this. Matthew 6, Jesus says, now you may say, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm better than that. I, 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 I want to be rich so I can be generous. Well, if you're greedy, let me tell you, the only antidote to it is to be generous. But just imagine this, your generosity even is screwed up, perhaps, possibly. Because Jesus says in Matthew 6, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets. They may have the praise of others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, Jesus says. They got it. They got their pat on the back. They got, they, they got their hooray. They got their acknowledgement. But again, it is a fleeting, cheap reward. That's it. You get the applause of, of men and women, but you have nothing from the Father. And that is a pity. Woe to you. Now, if you were to travel to some of those places I referenced earlier, war-torn, struck with famine... No clean, places where there is true poverty, there is true, truly a, an oppressive government, where there is, say, famine, and there is, there, there is, there's nothing 
that even if you have the best work ethic in the whole world imaginable and you're smart and you apply yourself and your ambitions, you will be poor. Think about that. It is so smug and, and misguided to think that, that, that the majority of people who are poor chose that. And I'm saying that as someone who lived thinking that all my life almost. You go to those places and you, you will find people who, as hard as working as they are, they are, they're impoverished. And I'll point to some people when I find the local church there who have joy and contentment and they know the blessing. They know the blessing. It's harder to find in this context. You know, through, through circumstances that I, I still not quite entirely clear, uh, a prison inmate wrote to me. And he lives in Missouri. He's, uh, he's a little bit younger than I am. And he has been incarcerated for about 12 years. And he has probably three or four more to go. His name's Larry. And, uh, and, and Larry, he and I have been corresponding over the phone and email and, and, and writing. And he, 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 wants, he wants to prepare for ministry. He's, he found my name. He wants to, to train to be a biblical counselor. And, uh, and so he got connected. We, I've just been trying to encourage him. And let me tell you, I have gotten a whole new perspective on what it's like to be in, in a low place in hearing some of the stories of what the culture is like and what life is like. Not, not for all the obvious reasons but for a whole variety of other reasons. You know, when Larry first got into prison, when he entered into the, the, correction, you know, the correctional facility, he, he, he was in a miserable place for all the obvious reasons. He was actually esteemed at that time because part of the charges against him was that, was that he had violence towards a police officer as part of his sentencing. But the, greatest, the worst thing that could have happened to Larry is the greatest thing that could happen to Larry because it was only upon entering prison that he realized his need for a Savior. And now he's following Jesus and what used to be the praises of the, the other prisoners in the culture is now the scorn and the shame and the mockery because he's honest. He, he won't cheat. He won't lie. He won't cover for other people. He's trying to follow Jesus. And now they have a whole different view of him. You can pray for Larry. My heart aches for this brother. But he does not need nor want your pity. Larry counts himself to be blessed. Truly. It is hard. But he is a blessed man. My heart aches a lot more for the many friends that I have who are wealthy and prosperous. They are so self-satisfied. They are highly regarded. I like being around them. They don't know Jesus yet. But I'm fearful that some of those blessings and prosperities and riches and achievements and praises will inhibit them from seeing the king and the kingdom. Here's some questions I want you to ask yourself. 
and maybe you can go back and re-listen to this, or I'll, I'll, I'll send them out with the, the discussion questions, okay? So don't, don't worry about writing them down right now. I just want you li- I want, in response to this, God's Word, just, just listen for a moment to these questions, just to take some assessment of our own hearts and minds, our priorities in life. The first one I already alluded to earlier is this one. Why do you think it is, honestly, why do you think it is that Jesus warns of the deceitfulness of riches? The second question is, why do we despise being needy or even the thought of being needy or even the thought of being perceived as needy? And I I, I know I've experienced this many, 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 many times. The next question is, what are you chasing and what are you craving? Truly. What, what occupies headspace? Is it the newest toy? The, a new relationship? A new experience? A new vacation? Wealth? Entertainment? Health? Are these the greatest things that you can imagine? And young people, I'm speaking to you. You live at a time and a space. I do not envy your circumstances. You, have, you face all, all form of pressure and temptation in many of these regards, in these, these worldly values that Jesus is trying to turn upside down in your own heart and mind, in my heart and mind. The next question is, what am I trying to avoid? We, we, we can be so unbelievably creative when it comes to trying to avoid suffering, when in fact Jesus has told us to anticipate it. We, we run for the hills. We want nothing to do of sacrifice or suffering. But the world only delivers that in the end. It's just disappointment, hurt and loss. It will come. Moving on, what about my reputation? I'm curious, has, has being a follower of Jesus made me different. I mean, different to the extent that other people around me notice. And at times, even disliked. What are you working, excuse me, why are you working to gain the praise of others? Verse 26, he already told us it's only a cheap reward. What are you waiting for? Like, I mean, I'm saying uh, anticipating, right? What are you anticipating? Do you find yourself, whether you're in the peaks or in the, 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 the down low valleys, do you find yourself longing for a place, a greater place? Do you anticipate than this earth or anything this earth can offer? Do you find yourself anticipating the final reward that comes to those who are followers of Jesus? Which is, by the way, not the bliss of heaven... And the mansions that Jesus has prepared for us, it's the reward is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to enjoy the communion of the fellowship of the eternal glory. Does that grab you? Okay, consider this last question. I'm done. Verses 21, excuse me, verses 20 to 23. These beatitudes, these blessings. 
Whom do these Beatitudes best describe? You may have some people in mind. It best describes Jesus Christ himself. Because Jesus emptied himself, experienced tremendous poverty. He was hungry at times. He wept. He was persecuted, just like the prophets of old. He was lonely. He was never, he was never married. He had no children. He believed wholeheartedly, was faithful, and persevered to the point of the shame of the cross. Why? In the name of love. So that he could be a savior to sinners like me and like you. To be the one who would make it possible so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters. So that we could experience the new birth and the promises of God. Even in our need and in our weakness and our failure, we desperately need to look. I'm telling you this morning in close. We need to look beyond ourselves to the, to the one and the only one who was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who is now triumphant. He is raised. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Blessed, blessed are you as, as followers. But he is coming again. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I ask that you would teach us. Well, you know, Lord, I pray even now you'd forgive us. You would protect us from self-centeredness and materialism and discontent and envy and greed. The, the love and the, the love of the praises and the fear of man. Lord, teach us in our need. Guide us through whatever trials you've appointed. Would you help us to be a good witness, even ambassadors, even if it means that we would be scorned and misunderstood. And Lord, we do pray this morning. We, we want to be mindful of those who are followers, the, the church elsewhere, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are, who are parts of the world where there is great persecution. There is poverty. There is even imprisonment because they are followers of you. Please, Lord, have mercy on them. We pray for those meeting even this very day in small secret house churches because they have to. Some of them are trying to gather in, in pockets of, of prisons to praise your name because they know it's blessed. Their life. In countries, Lord, we pray for brothers and sisters in North Korea, in Somalia, in Iran, in Sudan, in Laos, in Indonesia, in Pakistan, in China. Lord, the list goes on and on. Thank you for their faithfulness, I pray. I thank you for their example. I pray that you even now would mercifully meet them in their trials, that you would give them strength, protection, and endurance. And Lord, for us, would you give us a, a gratitude that just keeps welling up and welling up and welling up even when we bump into need and rejection and want. Help us to survive these temporal blessings so that it might not eclipse the glory of you. Please come back, Jesus, with justice and righteousness. We know you will, and we long for that day when you will reverse the, the curse. We see it all around us. We pray lifting up all these things in Jesus' good and all-sufficient name. Even now, together, as he taught